0: Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am being interviewed by Dr. Jonathan Westover. He is the podcast host of Human Capital Innovations. It is an HR-focused podcast, and they look at the future of work and the global workforce and things like that. So it's right up my alley. Uh, this was an interview of me by Jonathan for his podcast and I am republishing it here on our channel so you get to hear me all enthusiastic about the topic of outsourcing and global employment. It's a great podcast and of course if you want to check out Jonathan's podcast, check out uh, Human Capital Innovations. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Welcome to the
1: Human Capital Innovations Podcast. about global employment and the seismic shift in current employment traditions. Derek Gallimore, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations
0: Podcast. John, thank you. So excited to be here.
1: It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from the Philippines. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. So there's a wee bit of a time difference between us. And today we're going to be talking about global employment. So I think it's only fitting that we're on different sides of the globe. We're going to be talking about the seismic shifts in the current employment situation, the landscape and the traditions that make up the environment and again, how that sh- those shifts are really changing uh, the direction of things moving into the future of work. As we get started, I wanted to share Derek's bio with everybody. Derek Gallimore is passionate about outsourcing. It is the most transformative business tool available today, he believes. He is committed to helping people integrate it into their businesses and see them thrive. Derek's blend of extensive international business and travel experience means that outsourcing came relatively naturally to him. Derek has been in business for over 20 years, outsourcing for over seven years, and has lived in Manila, the Philippines, the world's outsourcing capital, for over three years. He has worked and lived in five countries and worked and traveled through dozens more again, a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for joining me. Anything else you would like to share with me or my audience by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in?
0: No, that's very accurate. A little bit old now. uh, I've been living in Manila for about eight years now. And so everything's Mm. extended by about five years that you mentioned there. Unfortunately, we're all getting a little bit older.
1: (laughs) Wonderful. Well, that is fantastic. Uh, Extensive experience in this area. So I really uh, appreciate you taking the time and I'm excited to pick your brain around these topics. All right. So as we dive on in, why don't you share with us just a little bit of the foundational, your foundational understanding around, uh, outsourcing as a, as a tool for business? Um, you know, I think we all have in our minds, kind of the stereotypes around outsourcing there's in popular media in, in, uh, pop culture, you know, there's certainly this kind of caricature of outsourcing, Um, but tell us what, from your experience, outsourcing is all about, and then we can start to get into what that means uh, in terms of uh, the shift in the global environment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So outsourcing is, it's it's a hidden giant, really. Um, A lot of people sort of see aspects of outsourcing, but don't really understand exactly what it is and how it can help their business. Uh, at one end of the spectrum, people see large call centers that, you know, obviously do whatever content moderation for Facebook or um, Emirates um, customer service. Down the other end, um, you hear a lot about sort of Upwork freelancers and the Tim Ferris model of getting, you know, freelancers and VAs and stuff like that. Um, the, both of those exist, um, but actually neither of those really apply to the SME use case or market. And Outsourcing is a $250 billion industry globally on an annual basis, and it is now for about the last 10, 15 years exploding in the SME, small and medium-sized business use case. Where it is more applicable there is it is basically staff augmentation, where you um, employ staff on a global basis based on their capabilities and their cost, not on their location, uh, and you, they work beside you as any other colleague would or does. And this is such a powerful uh, tool for businesses across the globe. One of the sort of highlights is that you can save about 70% on your all-in costs, which is an incredible sort of value proposition. But also, it's not just about cost savings. It's also about accessing A global talent pool, literally a global talent pool. So instead of you sitting in New York or, um, you know, Utah or, or, you know, with maybe a catchment of a few hundred thousand people, you can literally access the pool of eight billion people across the globe. And so you suddenly open up the, the opportunities for your business and generally you can save a huge amount of money.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the kind of the, the perspective of outsourcing in terms of these call centers in, you know, XYZ country in the, another part of the world and people get frustrated because they don't feel like their English is very good. Like that's kind of the character, right? And there's a, entire TV shows and movies <laughs> around that premise uh, and, and the hilarity that ensues, right. From miscommunication and whatever. Um, and that's certainly a, a type of outsourcing. Uh, but to your point, I, I think it really includes a whole lot more, and we've seen over the course of the pandemic, uh, we've seen more and more people moving towards virtual work. And as a result, more and more um, geographical barriers breaking down to how our teams are structured. So we have more distributed teams and you have you know people who are full-time employees of the organization, but contract employees, uh, you have, uh, gig workers, right? And, and however you want to frame it, the reality is we have people, workers from all around the world now that can join our team, that can augment our skill sets, our talents, our, our competencies and capabilities to help us achieve really great things. Uh, and that is a form of outsourcing. Uh, and, and so I think it's, it's really important for leaders who may be stuck in maybe an old mindset or an old mental model of what outsourcing might mean to them, uh, to break out of that, to embrace the potential. Like you said, if we're stuck, like, you know, I'm in the Salt Lake, uh, metropolitan area. Uh, it's a big area. We have, I don't know, 100, uh, 1.5 million people or something like that. Um, sizable area. There's a good talent pool here, but that's only 1.5 million people out of a, global population of 8 billion people. Like why would I limit myself to the local population uh, when literally, you know, for many jobs, literally they could work anywhere. There's no geographical restriction as to where they could live as long as they have good, you know, technology and internet connection and the time difference is manageable. uh, Then you can figure a way out to make it work. And then you can tap into really great people anywhere. Uh, And to, to what you, to the point you mentioned, you know, in some cases, if these are not full-time employees, you know, of your organization, but rather it's freelance work, it's outsourced gig work, or whatever, uh, there's actually a tremendous amount of cost savings
0: there. Look, you mentioned earlier there's a seismic shift, and obviously with COVID, uh, the Great Resignation, all of this push for remote and work from home, um, it's forced a lot of you know more traditional businesses to really adopt this and a lot of them were doing it begrudgingly and sure it's not for everyone Um and I actually you know personally don't recommend that remote is necessarily the best option but you know you can now have a, you know a team in one country and another team in another country very easily Uh and there are huge benefits to that in terms of quality You know, there are, there are very bad people in, uh, outsourcing. There are also very bad employees in the US, uh, and all across the globe. You know, generally you don't want to go for the average. You want to go for the high performers. And it is just, you know, complete fallacy that out of eight billion people, you can't find one highly educated, highly capable person. You know, there are, incredible incredible people spread across the globe um i live in manila in the philippines and you know it has its fashion like it has startup culture um it has developers it has all of the fortune 500 here you know there's facebook and google and procter and gamble and you know and uh, whatever, Ernst Young, and, you know, all of those top people and those top organizations are very, very international, high-caliber, highly capable people. And so you can find those people, and generally it is at a discount of about 70%. 70%. Um, so it's very powerful. And, you know, people now are realizing that you can employ globally and it can actually, you know, arguably be – an advantage for your business, not necessarily just a disadvantage. Uh, so there's, there's, it's really, really evolving very quickly.
1: Yeah. And you, you've already pointed to a few of those seismic shifts. Um, there's a wide variety of things that are impacting the, the landscape of the world of work and, and what people are experiencing. Um, the bottom line, though, is all of these things collectively are challenging assumptions about work, work and the way it works. Right. And so when, when we talk about employment traditions, the way things have always been, you know, I think over the last few years, many people have been willing more so than ever, perhaps, to challenge their assumptions, take a second look at why they did things the way they did things and come to the conclusion, well, wait a minute, we don't actually need to do it that way anymore. Um, So what are some of those types of employment traditions that you've seen uh, over the, you know, the last 20 years, but particularly over the last few years um, shifting. And maybe there's others that, in your opinion, should be shifting and, and should be adjusting as we move into the future of work.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you you are more the ex- HR expert. And for me, I tend to veer towards more of a sort of traditionalist slant in terms of work. Um, I am worried, honestly, about the whole move, the, the very rash move towards remote work, work from home. Um, because I know when I was in my mid-twenties, in my formative part of my career, if I could work from home, that meant that I wasn't working. I was getting distracted on Netflix and you know, I'd be watching YouTube. And there's all this formative development that happens in an office. And it's not always fun. It's not always good, but not always enjoyable at the time. But often... You know, professional development and development as a person comes at the short term cost of, you know, discomfort or, or, and so I, I sort of fear this massive swing towards everyone's working from home. There's no offices. And, you know, that's a sort of longitudinal study that we have never tested the end point and it will be fascinating to see. Um, But, you know, what it does do, you know, and we're talking on Zoom, we're spanning the globe, we've got video, it's seamless, it's incredible. That did not exist 10 years ago. And even, you know, things we take for granted like emails and sending attachments and all of the online tools and interfaces and Slack and all of this is perfect for online work, for remote work, and even asynchronous work if you go, if, you know... People are up for it. So there's an incredible sort of evolution towards this digital paradigm. And I think, you know, more traditionalists are slower to catch on to that. But the, you know, the Gen Z or millennials of today that are growing up on TikTok and YouTube in chat rooms and prefer to text instead of really see people face to face. You know, when it comes to them being managers and employers, they're going to go like, why the hell are we hiring anyone in the same room as us? This is just crazy. You know, there's 8 billion people on the planet. I'm going to go to the appropriate chat room or forum and find the best people for this role, regardless of where they're sitting, you know? And so there's, but, you know, the office thing, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, generally I recommend that you can still get better productivity in an office. You can easily get an office in the Philippines or India, have them all there, have them all sitting around the water cooler, the desk, having those sort of moments, having that discipline. Um, and you know, you um you go from there. But again, it's it's yeah. courses for courses, I suppose.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you highlight the tension that's there. And it's one of the reasons why so many people have moved towards this kind of attitude about hybrid work. You know, like, let's, let's try to get the best of both worlds, so to speak. Uh, You know, there's benefits to being in person, there's benefits to the flexibility, you know, of the remote or the virtual work. Um, So let's find a, you know, a balance, perhaps that works for, you know, our team and the type of work that we do, you know, obviously different types of work, different types of um jobs and tasks, you know, might be better suited for one form of work versus another. Uh, And that tension, I think, is is not, it hasn't been resolved certainly. And we're going to continue to wrestle with this. Like you said, it's it's like a longitudinal study that we have to to watch over time. There certainly were fully remote organizations pre-pandemic, but they were rare. Um, You know, I do, I personally know of some people uh, that worked for fully remote Organizations pre-pandemic, and, and I've had really interesting conversations with them. But let's not fool ourselves. They were incredibly rare. Um, and in the vast majority of people still worked in the office. And so we do have limited um data points, you know, to look at some of these other organizations that find found a way to make it work, um, even pre-pandemic, even for the last 20 years. Um, uh, but in aggregate, you know, as we look at the landscape of the workplace and in the labor market generally, you know, in, in a much higher scale now, you know, more organizations are wrestling with us and we just don't know. We don't know what the long-term impacts are going to be. And I think you highlighted something that's really important, especially younger individuals who are early in their career. There's a lot of just professional development that happens informally in those those casual off moments, you know, between meetings, you're just interacting with people, water cooler moments, uh, all of that kind of stuff. That it, it it's not impossible to replicate virtually, but it's harder um, to to do virtually. And so, if you're going to make sure that your young people have the opportunity for for uh, coaching, mentoring, career development, and progression uh, in your completely virtual office, uh, you better be really attentive to to that fact and and look for ways. Uh, to make sure that that's happening. Otherwise, you're really going to be doing your young people a disservice and they're not going to progress in their careers the way you would, might want them to, the, the way that they might better be able to if they were in a physical office space. Um, but it'll be super interesting to, to watch over time to see if if organizations are able to crack that code you know, and figure out how they can do it really effectively, even if we're primarily hybrid or remote and we're not together all that often. So we'll see. I mean, the jury's out and we have to see what happens over time. Um, and so there's all these these different types of uh, approaches, these traditions, there's uh, simply preference differences. Sometimes it's a life stage thing. Uh, I don't think it's really necessarily even a, you know, older generation, younger generation, but I do think it's largely life life stage, you know, like there's certain periods of your life where maybe you'd benefit more from being in the office. Maybe there's periods of your life and certain types of roles certain types of work that you do where you would it would be really helpful for you to have more flexibility and simp- and and frankly you you already function with a high level of autonomy and you know how to work productively etc maybe those are the people we set loose and you know let them work remotely uh ultimately i'm not sure there's a one size fits all actually i'm pretty darn sure there's not a one size fits all <laughs> um and to this
0: thing like you know i wonder if there's going to be a double class society not that there isn't already but you know you're going to have the workers that are need to be on site, whether they're sort of engineers or electricians or baristas and Starbucks versus maybe potentially the more white-collar roles where, you know, all the developers can stay at home or work from a beach. And, you know, does it create this, you know, sort of divide in society, which, again, could be pretty, well, have an impact, whether it's good or bad. Uh, And then, you know, also Matt Mullenweg of WordPress, who Automatic, who run a, you know, asynchronous organization, he was always saying, look, you've you've either got to be fully remote or fully in the office because the ones that then go to the office have more uh, favors, you know, Mm. become more aligned with the management are there for more roles. And then, so it almost creates a, you know, an unfairness in that. It's, it's really complicated thing that we're, we're going to have to collectively unpick as a society going forward. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, And I've seen that too. I've seen, um, organizations that are predominantly in person, but they have, you know, a few people of the team, uh, who work remotely and yeah, the, the people who work remotely, they have some extra work to do (laughs) to make sure Mm -hmm. that they're staying on top of like the organizational politics, that they're getting the face time with the boss, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, or the boss needs to you know put a little bit of extra effort to make sure that they're having you know those types of opportunities. Uh, it's a challenge for sure.
0: It's kind of a proximity bias, isn't it, as well? yeah, you know, and we see that with teams in the Philippines. Like when people are just uh, sort of you know whatever voice on a computer or or chatting or sending work, um, the the bond and the sort of realization that they're a real capable, proper person right. is is far <laughs> minimized. But when the clients come over or sometimes the staff go over to the client, um, you know, it's just 10x, like suddenly they realize it's a person and they they see the, the person behind the computer screen. Um, and there's, there's a bit of that sort of, I suppose, human bonding. And then they realize, wow, these are far more capable people than I ever gave them credit. And, you know, <laughs> we'll load them up with a load more work and we'll put them into the management training scheme because you just get almost then a high fidelity 3D impression of this person as opposed to just whatever they're typing over email. It's, it's fascinating to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you highlighted, I mean, we saw, we saw it during the pandemic when, you know, much of the world went virtual and remote. Um, You still had people who had to work in the warehouses who had to work in the stores, you know, and, and, and work, you, you had frontline workers, right? You had people had to be there physically in person and it did create this bit of a tiered, you know, an extra level, an extra kind of tiered system in society. Um, and so I think that's a really interesting observation that you made. And we don't know ultimately what the long-term impact of this will be, um, but it is something to be very mindful of and thoughtful about as we move forward. And to your point earlier, if I'm, you know, a CEO or a senior leader within an organization and I'm wrestling with this, I'm wrestling with how do I tap into the best, talent anywhere in the world that necessitates the willingness to to have people work remotely, right because people aren't going to be re- relocating from anywhere to come to Salt Lake City necessarily. Some will, but many won't. Um, and so I have to on one level, you know be comfortable with and lean into this more you know this additional remote work and contingent uh, and and uh, distributed teams. Uh, on the other hand, you know, if, if I see the value, whether it's collaborative value of, you know, people being together in the same room, that, that human connection and the collaboration and the innovation creativity that can happen, um, and seems to be able to happen more organically, um, when people are physically together, whether it's that, or whether it's the mentoring piece, the coaching piece, like you were talking about the professional development, whatever it is, you know, these are the ongoing wrestles that we're going to have to struggle with. And I think as long as we are attentive to it, and having regular conversations and talking with our people, I, I think we're up to the challenge. Um, there's going to be there's going to be two steps forward, one step back along the way. I, I don't think you know this is going to be super smooth sailing. It's going to be rough waters, but but you know we can do it. The other thing that I wanted to d- double click on that you mentioned uh, a few minutes back is when we think about younger people, um, digital natives, you know, people who are younger, millennial, Gen Z, and they're trying to understand well, why would I need to be there physically to do this job? Why can't I live anywhere? Why, why can't I live in my sprinter van and travel around the world and just work from wherever I happen to be? Um, And so on the one hand, they have a good point, like depending on what they're doing, they may not need to actually physically be in the office. And if you want to tap into that, that talent, you're going to have to have some level of flexibility. On the other hand, I think it's our job as, as leaders uh in organizations to help them understand and to communicate to them why it's so important and how it's going to benefit them. Like you're not trying to control them. You're not trying to take away their autonomy or flexibility. And in fact, you can find ways to build in autonomy and flexibility, whether people are fully face-to-face or remote or hybrid or whatever mix. Um, But if you, if I can communicate that better to them and help them understand why it's really going to be beneficial to them to at least part of the time be in person um, I think we can we can bridge that perhaps generational divide or life stage divide uh, that might exist for a lot of younger workers, uh, and and if they know that we're we care about them and that we're trying to help them, you know, we're not trying to control them, we're trying to help them. Uh, I think that will go a long way.
0: Yeah, I do worry about that. You know, it's easier and more fun to stay at home, and <laughs> but, you know, it's easier and more fun to have. You know, eat lots of chocolate and have all the dessert, but it's not good long term. And you know, it, it's very hard to train for a marathon, and it's grueling, and it's immensely difficult to train to be an, Olympi- an Olympic athlete. You know, it, grueling, absolute blood, sweat, and tears. But those hard things you you grow from as a professional, as a person. And so I worry that if we're always sort of in a comfort zone, and you know, everyone's working from a do from under there duvet in bed um and they're never pushed into those sort of awkward moments of having to do a presentation in front of their senior bosses or you know those sort of kind of critical professional moments in a career that are hard at the time then where do you get that development and you know i'm a i'm a fairly fit guy and motivated guy you know i go to the gym every day but um if it wasn't for the gym, I would not exercise like in, if, if it's at home, I wouldn't do it. I have to go to the gym. And then that's when I turn on into my exercise mode, Uh, you know, and I I worry for the, for the complete sort of dissolution of offices. Um, But, you know, again, maybe that's just sort of old, maybe we're just sort of taking it from a a place where we have been, instead of looking at it from a perspective of of where it's going.
1: Well, that's the ongoing wrestle. Right. Um, and the tension and, and I think it's good for us to be having these conversations. Well, Derek, it has been a real pleasure. I know at the time I'm going to have to let you go here in just a minute, but before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, uh, and then give us the final word on the topic for today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. uh, we are we aren't actually an outsourcing firm. We are an outsourcing marketplace. So we're a little bit like the trip advisor for the outsourcing industry. We list about 3,000 outsourcing firms on our website. Uh, So we also have about 15,000 pages of content. We also have a YouTube channel and podcasts and all just basically educating about global employment, outsourcing, BPOs, and everything you need to know about it. Um, So it's, you know, free to you, to the client, to the browser, uh, have a look at the website. It's outsourceaccelerator.com. Uh, and just take a look around. And outsourcing you know, can benefit 99% of businesses in 99% of sectors. Uh, and basically any role, as long as that role is done predominantly in front of a computer, then it can be done offshore. Uh, it's an incredibly sort of compelling value proposition and just one that i think you know as we now enter into a recession as times get harder um that employers and businesses are now a little bit more compelled to at least explore it's their almost fiduciary duty to explore to see whether this is suitable for their business because um it is absolutely transformative when it's when it's done right so yeah check out the website.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Derek. It's really been a pleasure. This has been a fun conversation. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. They can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review.
0: It was me being interviewed by Dr. Jonathan Westover of the Human Capital Innovations podcast. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, uh, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us any questions, then just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.